So as Bill said, he helped us to laser focus on really why we're, not only why we're here today, but why we live. And as I was listening to him, I was hoping that, that you were paying attention too. And it made me think about some places I've been where our life in Christ, we could, we could not express the way we live uh, legally. You could go to jail for what we're, what we're doing right now. I've been in places where we had to sing in whispers. And the songs that were chosen were appropriate. I especially appreciated the song, um, In Christ Alone. I think that summed up really the message of today. What Bill said uh, does the same thing. And I hope that, uh, I hope you'll pay attention right now. Not because it's me, but because we're going to look at God's Word. We're going to open up His Scriptures here, and we're going to examine it. And what, we, what we're looking at can be life-changing in a positive way, in a great way, if we just take these things and apply them to our lives. I know of at least uh, two people have talked about memorizing the verses that we've talked about. Uh, Clyde in a sense, challenged us two, two weeks ago when he said he had memorized 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And so I mentioned that last week. Why don't we try and do that or challenge you to attempt to do that? And I know a couple of places, uh, a couple of people have said they were, they were attempting. <laughs> and I know the older you get, the harder that is. But let's read. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10 especially today. But let's read verses 7 through 10. As it begins, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. You know, stop right there. We can all memorize that. Repeat after me. Dear friends, let us love one another. All right. If that's all you get, that's all you get, you've got enough. Dear friends, let us love one another. And let's finish that. For love comes from God. For love comes from God. All right. Even the oldest, I think, can memorize that verse, that part of the verse. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The importance of this passage, these verses here, cannot be overstated. I think the more I look at this, the more importance I I see in in the passages we're trying to consider. And it's really my goal to rush through this. I am. I'm rushing through it because there's so many times we get to stop and just talk about one little section of it. But we're going to rush through this section. It's only going to take us four or five weeks. But we're going to rush through this section because it is so vital. I mentioned to you last week that Jerome in the 5th century, he recorded that, the, that John, at, when, he had, when he was so old, he couldn't do anything else but say a few words. These were the words that he, he said over and over. 
Love one another. Love is from God. These were the words he just stated over and over and over. Augustine, who lived about the same time, he was, had great influence over the Western civilization. He wrote this. If nothing else in praise of love was said in the rest of the epistle, nay, in the rest of Scripture, and we had heard from the mouth of the Spirit of God only that one statement, God is love. We would not have to look for anything else. Some of the greatest minds of history looked at this passage and said there is so much. I mean, if we can only grasp that one statement, God is love. Oh, it's three little words. What's the longest word is four letters. God is love. If we could get a hold of that, if we can understand that, that would be enough. We wouldn't have to look for anything else. And while, while this is not the only description or only definition of God, I think it's vital in our understanding to, to understand our, vital to understand this word, this statement, God is love, in order to understand our relationship with Him. And as what I've tried very hard to do is I've tried to stay in this letter and let John define what he's talking about. Oh, I've been tempted to go to other passages, and sometimes I'll refer to them. But I've been tempted to go to some other passages to really define it. But I want John to define it for us. Later on, we might do that. But John, he states that in three, th three things. He says, God is spirit, and that's in his gospel, chapter 4, verse 24. And this is a definition of, of God. He says that God is light, and that was at the very beginning of this, this uh, little epistle here. And then now he says, God is love. He says that in verse 8 and in verse 16. And these three, if you think about it, these three things encompass more than we can, than we can grasp. What does it mean, God is spirit? We could spend our lives trying to figure that one out. And the meaning and the application and the implications. God is light. Same thing. There's so much that can be said about that one statement. And now we come to this one. God is love. God, uh, John had just stated in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Now I want you to test the spirits. Do you remember that? Let's, let's just go ahead and read that. Let me go over there. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And, ba and what I try to share in, in that section is that, that the test here is, a, is um, basically comes down into two tests that we can find in verse 23 of chapter 3. This is the command to believe in the name of, the, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. And so he says, you know, the world is going to bring you information. And you need to test that information. You need to test what the world is telling you. Uh, the Spirit of God is bringing you information, and you need to test that to see if, if, if it is from God. And so we can say there's two tests here. One, he says, is to confess or to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. And we could, we could sum, uh, summarize this and say this is talking about doctrinal purity, at least in the form of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? And Bill alluded to that in his comments. Who is this person, Jesus of Nazareth? And the second test is in how we live. God love expressed in our lives toward one another. 
And so we need to look at our lives and we need to test the spirits, all the information, all the things that are happening around us and say, is this from God or is this from the world? Is the world trying to influence me or is this God's influence on me concerning Jesus and concerning how we treat one another? And so John includes himself. He says, let us love one another. Because the spirit of the world has a great deal to say about both of these things. The spirit of the world has a great deal to say about who Jesus is and what the love of God is. And a lot of it is false. And a lot of it is partially true. And this is where we get ourselves into trouble is that we listen to these things that are around us. And we don't even realize we're listening to it. And it's influencing us. And we're coming to belief in something that's not true or that's partially true. We have a concept of love. We have a concept of Jesus that could be skewed if we're not listening, if we're not testing the spirits. How do you test? How do you view the love of God? What is the love of God? Are we giving it the proper test? When we begin to understand this love, we understand that it's the only way to live. It's the only way we can live in Christ. And actually, it's even the only way we can know God. And that's what John said in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. God cannot be known apart from, from God, or from love, God love, because God is love. The world t- tells us love, a normal working definition, everyday definition, it, it has to do with our feelings. It has to do with our, with our emotions. And so if I'm not feeling love, I'm, I don't love. I, I just lost my mind for a minute. Clyde. <laughs> Wherever. He's not sitting where he usually is, so I'm looking for Clyde. Clyde, he gave us a working definition that I think is very, very good of God love. Giving of self to others for their good without expecting anything in return. And that's a good definition. It's okay. There can be some struggles as you're working that out. But if you think of only that, giving of yourself to others for their good without expecting anything in return, that's a good working definition. So let's go to verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. And we're going to see here love manifested. This is how God's love is shown Verse 9, this is how God showed his love. This is how God showed his love. God love is not something just expressed. It's not just said. It's it's shown. And some of your translations will say manifested. I like that word manifested. I hope it's not too big of a word. But it, it says more than just showed. You can show someone something, but you can manifest something. And it's a fuller, it's a fuller word, at least to me. It means more than just showed. The word means to make plain and clear. It means to bring something to light. It means to display it. Just put it out there in front of you and display it. To bring to light that which is not readily seen. Something you don't normally see. And from our uh, viewpoint, a light has been turned on in darkness so that we can see. Now we can see something clearly. He's laying it out in clear view. Light shining on it. God is displaying something that we would otherwise miss, is what he's saying. 
And this is, this is just my own uh, illustration. This, this, this kept popping into my mind, and it, might be, it may not be a good illustration. It'll, it'll, fall, it'll fall apart at some, some points. But what I was thinking of, if you, and I don't do this. I haven't done this in years. Have you ever gone into a jewelry store and the display glass, the display case is sitting there with diamonds in it, diamond rings and everything, and the light's off? And you're looking, you're looking into it, and they turn on the light. And it just brings out the brilliance of the diamonds. You see the facets. You see, you see some things you've never seen before. I once held in my hand a necklace worth $100,000 back 10, 15, 20 years ago. The, way, the reason I did this is I had a brother-in-law that brought me into a jewelry store, and he was looking at some stuff, and he says... Do you know how much that bracelet's worth, that necklace is worth? I don't know, $100,000. And he knew the owner. He said, can, can we see that? Can we take it out? And, it, I mean, I, I'm not much for diamonds, okay? But, boy, when the lights went on and I looked at those beautiful, perfectly cut diamonds, and they just brilliantly shone in my face, I was like, wow. Now I see why people are tempted to buy something like this. Although I'll never be tempted. I may be tempted, but I'll never have the ability. But it's like, wow, beautiful. And that's the idea. That's what God is trying to get across. He manifested something to you. He didn't just show it to you. It's not like he picked up, picked up his iPhone and said, see, and, and put it out. But it brilliantly brought it forth to us. He brought his love to us. He, he manifested his love to us. So what is this that he's been manifesting? And so all through the book here, all through this little letter, we see God manifests certain things over and over. He starts in chapter 1, verse 2. And he says, the first thing he says, that life appeared. Life. He's manifesting to us life. Not this kind of life. All right? Breathing life. Not bios life. Not physical life. Well, that's part of life. But this is life. This is Zoe life. This is true life. This is everlasting life. This is a life that will not stop. It has quality and quantity. And so he says that life, the life appeared. And we have seen it and we've testified to it. And he says this, is, this comes through Jesus. He manifested. He's shined the light on it. He's put the spotlight on life. And then he gives us an encouragement in chapter 2, verse 28, to continue to abide or anchor yourself in, the, in Jesus. 2.28 says this, and now, dear children, continue in him, abide in him, stay in him, so that when he appears, when he's manifested, we may be confident and unashamed of his coming. And so he's saying here, one day there will be a complete manifestation. There is a manifestation right now of Jesus. That's true. But one day it's really going to come to light. You're going to see him in his full glory. And so when that day comes, you stay anchored into him because when, boom, it happens, you can be confident. And unashamed at his coming. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, he continues the same thought. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not been yet been made known. But we will know that when he appears, we will be like him. And so when he's manifest, he says, you know, we don't really understand what he's going to be like. We can't grasp that. Uh, this is the imperishable. He says, when that happens, boom, you're going to see it. Is he's going to appear, and it'll be made plain, and we're going to be like him. So be ready for that. 
And we may not know what that's going to be like. We don't know what that's going to be like. But this is something we do know. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He says, but you know that he appeared, boom, that he was made manifest. The light shone on him so that he might take away our sins. We know this. This is why he was manifested. This is why he, God brought him. This is why he was shown to us so that, we can take, that he will take away sins. And we know this, he says. And then in verse 8, he continues that, that when he appeared, verse 8, he, um, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, was made manifest, was destroy the, Satan's work. And so here's another reason that he was made manifest. He said, look, he's going to destroy. He's destroyed Satan's work. So I brought him to light so you can see that. And now we come to another statement concerning the reason this life came to light. This clear, plain revelation to us. He was manifested to show love. Verse 9. This is how God showed, manifested his love. God has a desire. He wants to do something. But he doesn't do it in secret. He wants to make it clear. He wants to make it plain. And so he turns this spotlight on and he says, in essence, look, pay attention. Look at this. And it's to let me put let me make it personal. It's to my ignorant shame that I have a fundamental difficulty and a lack in my life seeing the love of God. The world distracts me. Life distracts me. I'm talking about bios life. It distracts me. The living distracts me. And I suspect you're the same. It's hard to see it. Or, or we demean it. We demean the love of God. Love of God is something nice and soft and whatever. It's just something that's gooey. That's, my, that's the word I'm trying to look at. It's a gooey thing. As I shared last week, love, God love, is hard. It's tough. It's the right thing. It's sometimes not the easy road to go down. It's a hard road. It's the narrow road. It's not the wide road. And how do you learn to love? I mean, love even in the human sense. How do you learn to love anyone? The only way is to get to know them, right? And that's what John says over and over and over in this book, almost 50 times. I'm writing this so that you'll know, so that you'll know, so that you'll know. And that you do know, and that you do know, and that you do know. But he's reminding us again because we forget so easily. Over and over he says, look, if you know these things, you know these things, you know these things. This we know. We know. And once we know, we'll, we'll learn to, to love. Love is the gospel message. This, this, these verses are really a summary of the gospel, verses 9 and 10. The whole Christian message can be stated in one word, love. You know, I started thinking about that. The whole, take the major religions of the world, can be stated in one word, Islam can be stated in one word, peace, defined by Islam, of course. You have to define the words properly. Uh, Hinduism, one word, karma. That's my word anyway. Buddhism, fate, 
saying it's very similar. The world, how does the world define love? Fun? Me? That may be the one word. But the whole Christian message can be defined in one word, love. Properly defined by God. And the whole Christian message can be defined, it can be, it, I think it's summed up in these two verses, verses 9 and 10. And the message is this. Here's God's message. This is, if all you get today is this, this is the gospel message. God is love, and God demonstrated that love. That's the, that's the message. How can we know that? This is, this is a parenthesis almost. How can we know that God is love? How can we know what, God, what, what love is? How can we know? How can you know for sure God forgives? You hear that over and over. God forgives you. How can you know that? How do you know the truth about any of these things? There's three possibilities. You can look into yourself. We look at ourselves. We find our own definition, our own answers. That's common today. You hear it over and over. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Don't let anyone tell you anything. Do what you feel is true. And so this is where we come into some problems when we look at this word love and we define it within ourselves and say, this is love the way I define it. Or we can take someone else's definition. The world is full of definitions. You can find psychology books and health, self-help books and all these types of books. Just page through them at Books a Million down here. You'll see them all and you see these definitions of love. This is love. He says, this is love. This is love. Or you can go to God. Allow God to define it. And that's exactly what he does. Look at it. He says, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among them. Among them. This is his demonstration. And he says, this is it, Jesus Christ. I believe there's solid proof that's been given to us through the scriptures that he is the son and he is God's definition of himself. And he's God's demonstration of love. You know, we can learn a great deal about God through the creation. I've mentioned this many times. You go out into creation, you can read uh, Romans chapter 1. Paul says the same thing, so he, he agrees with me, or vice versa. And you go out to creation, you can learn a lot about God. We see His power, we see His glory, we see complexity, we see even love in the creation. But God's love can only be understood in its completeness in what God did in Christ in the sending of his son. God displays. He manifests. He puts it out in, into the open. Light shining on it. His love. God brings into clear light. A living example of love in the flesh. You wonder why I spent a lot of time in the gospel of John? Because I want us to see love in the flesh. Everything he did was love. The hard things he said... The times he was not nice, that was love. You see, we get our own definition, like as I said, we get our own definition of love. And we say love is nice. And if someone doesn't feel good when we talk to them and they don't feel nice, it's not love. That's my definition. God's definition is, is explained in Christ. And when we look at Jesus, and Jesus sometimes, read Matthew, what is it? I just went blank. 23, is it 23 where he says, woe to you? The woe to you passages, look it up, 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there. Over and over, that's love in action. 
One of Paul's prayers was this. He said, I, I, I want you to know, here's my prayer, how wide and long and high and deep is God's love. That's what I want you to know. And so I have a task to try to explain to you something that cannot be explained. I recognize my own weaknesses, my problem with choosing the wrong words, the wrong phrases. My, human, my humanness gets in the way of the message. And I want to say, but I want to help us all begin to know the unknowable. That which Paul says surpasses knowledge. Climb to a height that we're unable to climb to. And as I was thinking about this, and I, and I say this in seriousness, in explaining this love of God, if you think, I could do a better job, and I'm not, I'm not saying a better job, I have a better way to say it than what you're saying. You're missing it. I have a better way to say it. Come to me and let's work out a time that maybe you can, you can say it. Maybe in two minutes you can say it. Maybe you just, re- you just get up and read this passage and say, there, it said it. You're making it too complex. But it's an impossible task. We're trying to explain the unexplainable. And so we look at this in verse 9 and 10, continuing. He, he loves sins the unlovable. Sin, is sent to the unlovable. And so God manifests this. He shows this. He displays it in this act of sending. God, as selfless, selfless giving, he comes to light in his son. All through his gospel, John continually weaves this. It's a key word in the gospel. John sent, sent, sent. And in this letter, we see it several times. We can say this, this passage. Did you notice? Maybe you noticed this. Verse 9 and 10, how similar it is to John 3.16. Did you notice that? John, you know what that is? Some of you might not know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Yeah, Ty, he said he's, he's eight years old. He knows that. Whoever believes in him will not perish. So this is just kind of an expansion. It's a different way of saying the, the same thing. And being sent implies that he existed before. We are born into this world. He was sent into this world. He who existed in perfection and eternal glory was sent into a sinful and imperfect world. And for us to contemplate the eternal Son, not coming in luxury, but coming in poverty, living as a small town carpenter, having been placed in danger from his birth, being surrounded by sin and sickness, anger, hatred. It's more than we have time to deal with. And God sent him into that. He who did not have to come was sent and he came voluntarily. He did not he was not sent without wanting to come. And it says he was the unique son, my version says the one and only it means the one of a kind, the unique son. We are children of God. John has said that marvelous passage. We are children of God, but we are children of God by grace. We're adopted children by grace. He was the son by right. And the whole message of God, the, his good news is wrapped up in a person. So we can see love expressed. Not only just words, it's not just teaching but it's in action. We look at him and say, oh, that's love. 
Because we don't get it. It's hard for us to get it. So we look at him and we say, that's love. The way he treated people, the things he did, the things he said, the way he lived his life, that's love. And this love was manifested so that we might live, which implies we, we can't live without him. It implies that we are in a living death, and we are, or we were, if you're outside of him. To understand the love of God, we need to really understand how unlovable, uh, unlovable we are. You know, I wanted to have a whole, uh, a whole sermon on that. Maybe that's where I need to go. How unlovable are you? What a sermon. And here's the answer. I am unlovable. To understand that Zoe life of God, that eternal life of God that has been given to me, I need to understand the death that I once embraced. If I can grab a hold of the death and understand the depths of death that I hung on to at one time, then I can begin to understand that Zoe eternal life. In order for us to understand our freedom in Christ, we have to understand the sacrifice of Christ, his atoning sacrifice. And it's a big word. Two years ago, I spent a whole sermon on propitiation. This, I don't know what word to use here. He, the NIV here says atoning sacrifice. Okay, explain that. Well, you explain it by the word propitiation. Well, explain that. It's, it's a concept that's, that's full of meaning and depth. But here's the point. God's definition of, of himself, of love, is this, of God's love. What does God's love look like? How is it plain for us to see? How can we begin to comprehend it? it doesn't, and the answer is this. It, doesn't, it does not originate in us. It originated in Him. Verse 9, 10, excuse me. In this way is love defined. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us through the sending of His Son as an atoning sacrifice. This is the ultimate gift of love. It's indescribable. And I've done a poor job of trying to describe it. Paul had a similar problem. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, uh, 14 and 15, he said, Because of the surpassing grace, that's speaking of love, God has given you. He goes on to say, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Can't describe this. Impossible task. But thanks be to God for it. Think about this. The cross was an instrument of death. And paradoxically, paradoxically, in a paradoxical way, it displays God's love. Death displaying God's love. It was a death that gave life. It was an unjust act that justified. There was no justice in what was going on. But God used an unjust act to justify. It was an unrighteous act, action, on the account of men. What righteousness was there in anything from the arrest until, until his death? Full of unrighteousness. And through that, God gave us righteousness. It was an, an action so irredeemable. That when people realized what they had done, they were cut to the heart. Acts 2.47 and said, what are we to do? It's an irredeemable act. Look what we did. What are we to do? And through that irredeemable act, God supplied redemption. You know, the cross to an unbeliever 
seems like the most unloving act. I've heard acquaintances of mine who are agnostic and atheist make fun of this. How can a loving God send his son to die? That makes sense. And it seems to be the most unloving act. And yet, it was the ultimate act of love. Because he died for sinners, not for the good people, not for the nice, not for the loving. Because in reality, there is none that are good. He died for the ungodly so that we could partake in his godly nature, his divine nature. Wow. Wonderful. I don't want to press the issue too much. I want you to think about that for a while. Let's read a, my paraphrase. We'll be in. We'll end. This is how God demonstrated his love, displaying it openly with clear light, the clear, clear light of his divine nature, revealing it plainly. He sent his unique, one-of-a-kind son into this hostile and death-ridden world for the express purpose of giving us life so that through him we can live. Here it is, clear as day, God love. Not us pouring out our love to God, not at all. But that God actually loved us by sending his son to be a sacrifice that took the penalty of our sins and made all things right once again. Justice accomplished and made complete. That's what the word propitiation means. (laughs) That's what he did for us. And so we invite you, if you're outside of that love, to place your faith in Him.